Hello, and welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. This one entitled, Are You Serious? Seriousness, or the lack thereof, in history. The date, June 2022, and my name is Bell Avis. Take your work seriously, but never take yourself seriously, and do not take what happens either to yourself or your work seriously. Booth Tarkington. Now, I like this quote, but thinking Booth Tarkington was never on Twitter because that platform could have taken Mohandas K. Gandhi and turned him into a rage monster. If the gentleman is not serious, he will not be respected and his learning will not be on a firm foundation. And when he has made mistakes, he is not afraid of correcting them. Confucius. Do not take life too seriously. You will never get out of it alive. Albert Hubbard. I had a bit of a disappointing week as my son, who resides out east, well, he was to come and visit. And of course, during the visit, he would obtain invaluable knowledge from the oracle of truth and learning that I am. Actually, he would have come and tolerated my cringe dad jokes and pretended to take my bombastic pontifications for wisdom. He's a good son. But it was not to be, because American Airlines canceled not one, but two of his flights. Weather? Mechanical issues? Flight attendants strike? Flash mobs on the tarmac? No, it was none of those things. According to American Airlines, they do not have enough pilots because so many of them are retiring. Wait, what? Just to get this straight, they canceled two flights and hundreds more within hours of opening the gate because of a staffing issue that a 12-year-old could project. This is like me running a pizza place with a single oven, getting a contract with the city of Cleveland to feed the police force of 1,600 officers for lunch, then telling them around 11.30 that, whoops, I only got this one oven so I can feed about 50 officers and maybe six dogs from the canine unit, and they'd better be small dogs. American was not serious with that statement. I mean, think about it. Is this is this kind of what the scenario looked like? Hello, everybody. This is Captain Jake Decker. We're looking at departing in about one hour. Flight 1509. Oh, screw it. I'm tired of doing this crap. I'm retiring. I'm out of here. I'm leaving this cockpit right now. I mean, is that what they think happened? Is American serious with that? Of course not. And as a nation, we seem to have two divergent concepts of seriousness. Corporations, medical leaders, and government officials seem to be less serious than those who should be serious. On the other hand, comedians, especially those on late night TV, are deadly serious. Just the other night I watched comedian, I'm using finger quotes, Stephen Colbert produce a 10-minute rant on the January 6th riots. There was no humor, just serious harangue. Now, the word serious has more than one meaning. The first is demanding careful consideration or application. The second is acting or speaking sincerely and in earnest, or what they used to call not lying. And the third is a person of stature who takes the necessary time to learn about something or someone. A few podcasts ago, I talked about fakery in history. The point of that podcast was to describe something as real, but portrayed as fakery. 
One example we used was James II of England's son being portrayed as a changeling, as opposed to what he really was, a possible heir to the British throne. The modern day example is climate change. This could very well be a real phenomenon, and maybe there could be dire results. But the eco-warriors who are in charge of the narrative are not content with incremental changes. No, instead they created alarmist dogma of Armageddon in 10 years or else. The fakery is revealed in their lack of support for nuclear power. This podcast is in a similar vein. Now, I usually like to change up the subjects and provide listeners not just with a different history, but different positions. My challenge is that our politics today are so devoid of any seriousness that I simply cannot help myself. Rodrigo Borgia was one of my favorite non-serious, deadly serious historical figures. Borgia was born in Valencia, Spain on New Year's Day, I love that, in 1431. His uncle, Alfonso Borgia, was a cardinal within the Catholic Church, and Rodrigo's parents decided early in his life that he was destined to join his uncle in said church. Through the support of his uncle, Rodrigo obtained several increasingly high-ranking positions in the church, and in 1455, his uncle was elected pope, and took the name Calixtus III. I love that name. You know, forget these John Pauls or these Francis's or Benedicts. Give me a good old Calixtus any day of the week. Now, young Rodrigo Borgia moved to Rome and was adopted into the household of Calixtus. In 1457, the Pope elevated his beloved nephew to the position of vice-chancellor of the Roman Catholic Church. Soon, he became a cardinal, and Cardinal Rodrigo Borgia maintained a lavish lifestyle from this position, entertaining the wealthy and powerful in his villa. Cardinal Borgia was, on all accounts, an excellent administrator and very clever, but he was not necessarily well-suited for the celibacy required of a Catholic clergyman. Borgia had several long-term relationships with Roman noble women. And his longest relationship was with a beautiful Italian woman named Venosa de Catani. Although Venosa was married to several men during their relationship, Rodrigo Borgia acknowledged four of her children as his own. Remember, he's a cardinal in the Catholic Church. Four children? In that fateful year of 1492, Borgia, at the age of 61, and after a tumultuous cardinal conclave, was elected to be Pope and took the name Alexander the Sixth Pope, so named. He didn't take on a funky name like Calixtus. It is almost sure that Borgia bribed the other cardinals to vote for him. Not that this was actually such a rarity in this period of time. The late medieval and Renaissance church was, well, it was, it was quite an interesting place. On the other hand, Borgia was not serious about the traditions of the papacy, especially the early church, or celibacy, or the rejection of wealth. But on the other hand, he was deadly serious about collecting and wielding power. I would find it interesting if we were to learn that our current Pope, Francis, secretly fathered abrasive children, lived like a libertine, and achieved the papacy by heavily bribing his fellow cardinals. And frankly, I'm not necessarily that great of a fan of Francis, especially a lot of his policies. But two things I don't doubt about Francis. I believe he is sincere and serious about being a good and effective pope. And I believe that he is a serious man, unlike Rodrigo Borgia. But again, Francis probably didn't have anybody killed. Rodrigo Borgia, 
Who knows? So we're going to stay in Italy, but move back in time about, oh, 1,500 years to the time of the dying of the Roman Republic. So when Octavian vanquished Mark Antony in the Roman Civil War, Octavian had claimed that he had restored the Roman Republic, determined not to make the same mistake as his adopted father, Julius Caesar, who was murdered as a tyrant, Octavian opted to consolidate his position gradually over the years, accepting honors and powers. The immense wealth of Egypt further bolstered his power and influence, now under Octavian's personal control. Then, in 27 BCE, Octavian played the last part of his long game, the cunning young man suddenly relinquished his powers, announcing his retirement from public life and Roman politics. It was all just a show, a farce, but it worked spectacularly. Terrified of a new civil war, and terrified that maybe Octavian hadn't really retired, the Senate begged Octavian to stay. In addition, they bestowed upon Octavian the title Revered One, or as we know it, Augustus. Another title that Octavian preserved for himself was Princeps. In 23 BCE, with his stalwart lieutenant Marcus Agrippa's help, Augustus was given Imperian Maius, or supreme power, over every province in the Roman state, and more importantly, the legions in those areas. As imperator or commander-in-chief, Augustus now controlled the government and the army, and while he was prudently continued to avoid the trappings of monarchy, again calling himself simply princeps or first citizen, Augustus was emperor in all but name. Thus the empire was born from the chaos that toppled the Roman Republic. Augustus was one of the most serious men in history, but he was not serious about restoring the Republic. No, Everyone knew he was not serious about restoring the Republic. If some senator was thinking, Hooray, the Republic is back. No more dictators like Octavian's great uncle. Said senator then stands up and says, Octavian, you can like totally retire. Maybe take a, a vacay in Gaul or on Capri. The weather is gorgeous, baby. You're going to love it. At which point said senator experiences a terrible tragedy in which he stumbles and falls on a gladius, a Roman sword, 17 times backwards. One of the strange trends in history is the serious, not serious concept we are seeing with increasing and alarming regularity in the American polity and even in American commerce as witnessed with our American Airlines debacle. Octavian was very serious about retaining power, but had to take the not serious tack of resigning or claiming he was merely first of equals as opposed to, well, first, full stop. American Airlines is actually facing a serious issue. The Air Force and Navy trained baby boomer pilots who make up a portion of their fleet are retiring in droves. According to ATP Flight School, 80,000 airline pilots are retiring. Retirements averaging 4,100 new pilots per year will outpace the current capabilities of the flight training industry, and the return to normal growth will require twice as many new pilots as are currently in training today. The claim that this is why they cancel flights within hours of their estimated time of departure is not serious, but this long-term trend does not just affect the airlines, but all airline passengers 
Keep in mind there are nearly 4,000 commercial flights per day in the United States and commerce itself. FedEx alone has over 650 aircraft in its fleet, none of which are drones. And as noted, this serious, not serious thing has infected our politics to a greater degree than I would argue since the progressive age 100 years ago. We have gone from Truman's honest, the buck stops here, to stop the steal. Despite the rulings of nearly 61 judges throwing out his claims, Donald Trump's declarations of stolen elections, many of those judges appointed by Trump himself, were not serious. But the reaction of many on the right is very serious. It is just not the Capitol riot, which was a dark day in the Republic, but the mere concept that a citizen's vote does not count because of corruption. Endemic in the system will shake the very foundations of this Republic. Voting is the premier right of a citizen, and if the perception is that vote does not count, the people will try other means to make their voices heard, as we have witnessed. But this narrative did not begin with Trump. The left claimed illegitimacy of election in 2000, 2004, and the 2016 presidential elections. And in 2018, we had Stacey Abrams make that claim regarding the Georgia governor's election. The fact that she lost by 50,000 votes was a clear sign that Abrams herself should not be taken as a serious person. But that is not what happened. Significant institutions, ranging from the Washington Post to the Democratic Party, fated her as if she had cured cancer or brought Middle East peace. In addition, she was the Speaker of the Georgia House of Representatives, but besides that, her sole fundamental claim to national prominence was an unserious claim taken seriously with serious ramifications for our democracy. Earlier, I had mentioned medical practitioners. Well, today, many medical practitioners are hotly promoting COVID vaccine shots for under five children. Unfortunately, the stated death count of COVID is over 1.1 million people, and that's a pretty serious number. Of these, though, the cohort of 65 and older, about 45 million people, accounts for 75% of all COVID fatalities. The under-18 cohort, and by the way, this isn't the under-5 cohort, this is all under-18s, which consists of about 72 million people, accounts for around 1,200 deaths. And many of these involved comorbidities and the telling with COVID designation as opposed to the by COVID, meaning there was something else involved. The promotion of under-age 5 shots is not serious medicine, nor is it serious science. It combines a cover-your-ass concept and the teachers' unions dictating medical policy through the ruthless control of our public educational system. The claim that under five need vaccines is not a serious claim, but the fact that it is happening and why is very serious. And then there's Joe Biden. Oh, Joe Biden. One of the tragedies of Trump is that despite Many mistakes in his management of COVID and his 2020 presidential elections. If he had just entered a cone of silence after November 6, he would not only be the presumptive GOP candidate for 2024, but probably could win with a healthy margin. People would have forgotten the personal vendettas, the narcissism, and petty feuds. 
they would have remembered pre-inflation, pre-open borders, less crime, and tough actions against our enemies. They would have asked whether Putin would have indeed invaded with Trump in office. For all of the odd Trump sycophants he exhibited towards Putin, the latter had four years to invade Ukraine, but only did so when Biden was president and just after his first year. But unfortunately, Trump was not quiet, and we had January 6th and lost the Senate because of his actions. So today, we have a president who first claimed that sky-high inflation was caused by Putin's war with Ukraine, even though it takes about a 15-second Google search to look up inflation from January 2021 to February 2022, the month that Putin invaded. In January 2022, as measured by the CPI, Inflation posted its biggest 12-month increase since February 1982. The 12-month increase was 7.5%, up from 7% in the period through December 2021. Price hikes for food, electricity, and shelter significantly contributed to inflation. So, without Putin as his scapegoat, Biden is blaming the oil companies for making profits in this economy. How dare that a for-profit company should, you know, make a profit. Writing for the Dispatch, Jonah Goldberg noted on this subject, Indeed, it's worth noting that despite all of the politicians who shriek that big corporations don't pay their fair share in taxes, corporations are doing what politicians effectively told them to do. Tax loopholes to encourage investment on certain things and corporate responsibility on others primarily exist to incentivize companies to do what Washington deems essential or valuable. So by all means, please get rid most of these loopholes, but don't denounce the greed of corporations doing what the tax code writers said they should do. Jonah brought that up to make a very simple point. The Democrats proposing a windfall profit tax on oil companies are trying to force corporations to make bad decisions. But obviously, Democrats don't see it that way. They always think the government can spend money better than you or any greedy corporation. Indeed, they also believe that oil company profits are the product of greed and outside profits result from, well, excessive greed. It should also be noted that ExxonMobil lost $22 billion dollars in 2020 as the use of petroleum products plummeted in the pandemic economy. Now, Democrats, they only go one way. Company loses money? Too bad, so sad. And if it's oil company, even better. Go out of business. Screw you, ExxonMobil. But if a company makes money, we'll tax the crap out of it, of course. And when they get a windfall? What exactly is the difference between a normal profit and a windfall exactly? Oregon Senator Ron Wyden, who could probably not properly operate a lemonade stand, thinks he knows because he keeps proposing this. Now, is Biden really serious about this corporate greed? It's hard to say. Wyden probably is, but the president must point to anything, anything at all that will absolve him of the blame for inflation. Now, Biden also claimed that the Afghanistan withdrawal was a success. And his vice president thought controlling the border was about giving speeches in Guatemala. Yet she initially refused to go to, I don't know, the Texas or Arizona borders, you know, where the crisis actually was. Joe Biden is not a serious person and neither is his vice president. Now, though many on the far right might disagree with this, 
Mitch McConnell is a serious man. Marjorie Taylor Greene is not a serious woman. Yet one routinely gets on Fox, and the other does not have the time nor really the inclination. I believe that Janet Yellen is a serious woman. She's made mistakes, but I think she's a serious person. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, nor any of her squad mates, is not a serious person. Yet it is the latter who is consistently featured on all news platforms and in a very real sense drives the democratic agenda in a way that Marjorie Taylor Greene does not drive the GOP agenda. Elizabeth Warren, who proposed a wealth tax, is not serious. And if Nancy Pelosi ever were, at some point in her career, her appointment of Adam Schiff, one of the least serious figures in Washington, and that says a lot, to the January 6th committee was assigned, that Nancy Pelosi is no longer a serious person either. And the list goes on and on. When making upcoming decisions regarding our leaders, we must distinguish between the serious and the unserious. We are not a democracy in which we, the people, make all of the decisions. No, we are a republic in which we select the leaders that do. And that is a very serious responsibility. This is Bell Avis. Thanks for listening to this latest podcast, Are You Serious? And listen to all of our podcasts at our Buzzsprout site. Thanks.